0: Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Bible Love Podcast. We're so glad you're all with us. You are in for a very special treat today. We have the Reverend Almost Dr. David Barr with us. David will finish his PhD and graduate um, in theology in May. And he is joining us. He is the Associate Rector at St. George's in Nashville, married to Caroline and has a little boy, William. And I wanted you to know how we convinced David to be a part of our podcast. David and my dad, Polk Van Zant, worked together at um, St. George's. And I called dad and said, Dad, I want you to be on the podcast. And he goes, oh, I'm terrible at that. But you know who should be on the podcast is my new friend, David. So I picked up the phone, and I called David, and I asked him if he would do this, and he agreed. So welcome, David. We're so glad you're here with us. Would you start us off in prayer, David?
1: Yeah, thank you, Mary Balfour. really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be on this. Uh, let's pray. The Lord be with you.
0: And, also with, and you. also with you.
1: Almighty God, we are grateful that you are indeed a holy God and that you have— uh, given us a way of entering into your presence and we're grateful also lord that you cover us with your own blood uh lord we do trust that we've been bought with a price and so we ask that you would be with us as we turn to uh the words of leviticus and reflect on what it looks like to enter into your presence we pray all of this in your holy name amen amen,
0: amen. amen.
2: if you've been following along with us, you know that we started off following the path, the path. It's a book. And maybe some of y'all got that. We threw that out the window in the first week or two. And then we just started going kind of chapter by chapter through scripture. And we got through two books like that. And as Mary Balfour and I were getting close to, to starting the third book, Leviticus, we wanted to add some structure. And so what you're getting today is the beginning of that. As we enter a new chapter or a new book, of the Bible each time. We're going to invite someone on. In this case, it's uh, the nearly Dr. Barr, who is um, going to give us kind of an overview, a 20,000-foot view of Leviticus. And then Mary Balfour and I and other folks we bring along, we'll do the deeper dive into chapters. And and Leviticus even dives into verses, verses. but, but for this book in particular, we thought that, that we need to see the start to finish view of it to see that it's not just the things that get pulled out, but that it's the whole of, of this chapter of this book and, and how this book plays into a whole of scripture. And so uh, you'll see this on our YouTube and on the podcast site as kind of the introduction and then subsequent, um, the chapter by chapter discussion will flow from that. So that's a little bit of setup and housekeeping. David, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Thanks, Alan. Really appreciate it.
0: Tell us about Leviticus, David.
1: All right. Well, um, I mean, this should first start with the caveat. I'm I'm by no means a scholar of Leviticus. I'm not even a Bible scholar. I'm I'm a theologian, which the biblical guild might find untrustworthy. But um, I have been a Christian for a long time. And so I I love God's words. And um, I think... There is life in all of God's words, and so I would love to talk about that. I got you know it's tough to know where to start with Leviticus. It's a for many it seems like it's it's a scary book. It for a lot of folks you start out in Bible reading plans. You know it's a book that you get bogged down in, um, and I I, I I would challenge that attitude with the with the simple conviction that I, I think Scripture becomes very. Um, Scripture becomes far more interesting when you think that all of its words matter. So you can call that um, inspired. That's how the tradition would have called it. You know, if scripture is an inspired text um, more contemporary language might say something about infallibility. I don't really want to engage in that the whole argument there. Um, but at the very least, I think what we can all agree on as Christians is that, Part of what makes scripture, scripture is that it, it, it can't be erased. It can't be ignored. It can't be um, just sort of swept to the side, but it has to be engaged with. And then I'd say even more, it all has to point to Jesus in some way. Um, and so I think I would add that at the beginning, just as a sort of intro and, and jumping into Leviticus. It, it all makes the most sense in my mind when we view it within the canon as a whole. So I'd say, you know, Leviticus happens after God's very gracious rescue of Israel from slavery out of bondage, brought them into a a new kind of relationship with him um, as he guides them into the promised land. And so Leviticus is is kind of a um, it's it's a it is a response to God's own graciousness. And we find out that that's not. It's not altogether easy. It's not, um, I guess you would say as Christians that there is, a, there is a cost to responding to God's graciousness. There's a way of life that is um, not completely symmetrical with God's graciousness, but there is a response, an asymmetrical response to God's own um, gracious act of calling us out of, out of death and slavery into new life with him. And so that, that's, in my mind, what Leviticus is about. It's about um, how to be in a holy relationship with God. And holiness is just a huge um, focal point for the book. Um, and so I'd say that's kind of just to sum it all up, That that's the major theme of Leviticus. After God has rescued his people from slavery, he has re-emphasized, or as the earlier tradition might say, he's Scripture has recapitulated the sort of covenantal, particular, elective relationship that Israel has with their God. And Leviticus details what it is to live in light of his goodness and his awe-inspiring holiness. And it still functions as that for Christians. I think there's a temptation to sort of dismiss leviticus is all historically contingent and nowhere in the cr- christian tradition do you find that being the case um you know all through the early church all through the middle ages leviticus was wasn't it it? is christian scripture it is hebrew scripture as well um but it is in our canon and so um is relevant for us anyway. Sorry, I'll keep rambling if you don't. No,
0: see. I, I want to ask you. Okay, I love how you frame that. Um, I had just some, if you don't mind me picking your brain, some questions. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, go for it.
0: Um, so because we were in Exodus, Alan, I mean, like two two months. I mean, just kind of, and and you, some of it felt re- repetitive in the fact that God really wanted to put across these points very clearly, like. We got a lot. Y'all keep messing up, and I got to show y'all what to do. So then when we move into Leviticus, to think of it, I guess this isn't a question, but just a comment, like to think of it in God's graciousness is so lovely to me because there was some real harshness in Exodus, and there is some in Leviticus too, but how do we live into that holiness, you know, that, um, that God wants for us? Thinking about that makes me more excited about Leviticus other than actually kind of nervous, because I've been a little bit nervous about it. And you've given me a framework of going, okay, this is we got to look at it in this way and we might get a lot more out of it.
1: And the one other thing I'd add there is I think I think you have to if you step into the tradition, the Christian tradition, Little ways back, what, uh, something you find, especially at the very beginning of the Christian tradition is this conviction that when something is weird or strange in the Bible, we tend to not want to engage that and to sort of push it away or just say, I don't know what to do with it. I don't really want to read this anymore. But, but earlier on, their h- habit of mind was, wow, this is strange. It must reveal some deep mystery, mystery that, that I don't even know yet. And so I have got a I've I have to think on it. I need to pray through it. I need to ask other Christians for help. I need to look to, to other brilliant minds. There's something really important and profound here. And so, you know, you see as early as is origin, really early Christian thinker, he loves Leviticus. He just goes like nuts with Leviticus because it has all this strange stuff in it that he thinks reveal profound truths of the of the gospel to him. So That's a little bit, you you know, I I I think there's a there's a way you can get more out of it as well. If you see it as a as a kind of gratuitous revelation of God, you have to wrestle with.
2: Yeah. And what you said there makes me think, um, you know, you talked about kind of inerrancy and we're not going to get into that because. I'm not smart enough to get into that. But there are folks who hold up a Bible and it's always a particular translation. They say, God says it, that settles it. Right? And that, like, in a sense, yes, when God says something, but I don't know that we can hold up printed words that are a continuing revelation and say, that's settled, right? Because there is scripture that taught, and we talked about this in Exodus. There's scripture that was understood one way at a time, and now it's. So I think when we think that, that we have it all figured out that our reading of scripture is the plain reading of scripture um, that we can get into trouble. And so I like how you talked about kind of a continuing revelation and, and the wonder you use that term, the wonder, the mystery. Um, when something's hard, we need to read it again and see, is it hard because it makes us uncomfortable? Is it hard because it's saying something that's maybe true about us that we don't want to, Acknowledge, Or is it hard because God just wants us to wrestle with the hardness? Yeah,
1: I, th- I think that that's great, Alan. In my mind, I think the, the attitude that might best sum that up is when you when you look at the way Christians interpreted for a long time. Another part of their attitude is that scripture is part of scripture's divine inspiration is that they stand underneath it, right? So sometimes that actually means we have to say we don't know what it means because it's God's, it's divine, it's given. And and I believe personally that the spirit is wrapped up in scripture in some profound way and the spirit does a work in our lives and in our hearts as we wrestle with scripture. And so if I want to say that I have figured it all out, that that is actually to say that scripture is not scripture, you know, it, um, it, it stands over me and I obey it because of its authority. It also, because of that authority, it also means that I, I, I don't have control over it. Um,
0: well, so and I, 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 I like had this on the podcast before, and it took me a long time to like get there with this, but. One of my favorite things about my relationship with God is that I don't understand at all, that there is this great mystery. And I have gotten more comfortable the more my relationship with Jesus has deepened with that mystery, right? With going... Yeah, I'm an ordained priest, but I don't know the answer to that. I can't interpret that scripture the way it's supposed to be. Because again, just like you were saying, David, it would mean I know all. And God is the only one that knows all, right? We are these broken human beings that are just trying to obey and love God and love each other. So that mystery and that wrestling and that wondering is actually like really attractive to me in a lot of ways. Because I think it just grows me closer to God. It makes me get on my knees and pray help me figure this out. Or if you don't want me to figure this out, help me be okay with not knowing the answer. Mm-hmm. Love you think of that. same, same, same tune. I hope y'all are on that same page. Um, so with Leviticus, I don't, how stupid, I didn't bring my Bible. It's not sitting in front of me. I got my book of common prayer. Very good. But it is, it is a long, it is a long book of the Bible, just like Exodus. I think it's over 40 chapters. Is that correct? Um, and so again, this might take us some time to sort of dig deep and dig in. Um, I said this last week, um, and I asked David if I could ask him about it this week. One of the things David told me, um, and if I'm saying it wrong, David, correct me, but you said to get to the cross, we need Leviticus. And I love that statement. And I, and I'm sure you would say that about any of the books of the Bible, right? That these are all part of our story. It's not like, oh, that's this is just the Jewish story, right? It's the Christian story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Leviticus, it's um, the, one of the reasons I say that. So it's it's its 27 chapters. It is long, but it's not quite as long as some of the other ones. But it, in the middle of those 27 chapters is uh, it's 16 and 17, basically. 16 to 17 is this sort of centerpiece of the whole book. And it's all about the day of atonement. Um, They're kind of two ritual offerings, the scapegoat and, and, and it's clear as far as I can tell that the shape of Leviticus suggests that this is really one of the central features of the Leviticus. And, and and you, you see throughout the history of its interpretation that people really double down on this, Mm -hmm. this section. It's really important to them. And, um, you know, essentially what, what happens there is uh, the the sins of, so there are all these ways of dealing with sin in Leviticus, the details in a, a variety of ways. I, I could go through more particular details of it, about how to attain a uh, um, place of purity or cleanliness, enter into God's presence, both for priests and lay people. And, um, but at the at the center is this assumption that not all of the sins will be will be dealt with you you can't account just because of human finitude you're not going to be able to account for all of them and so there has to be a day once a year where all of the sins of israel known and unknown can be laid upon um animals and sent out into the wilderness as a sacrifice and then um that is that in my mind is uh that's a sort of key feature that just gets taken up throughout scripture so all of all of the language of atonement that you find throughout the rest of leviticus both it has to do with sacrifices of blood and also this one where somehow in a in a mysterious way the sins of the community are laid on this beast to be or, or or sent out into the wilderness that that to me makes sense of the cross additionally i i think that the blood sacrifices as well um most of that is is detailed in different portions. There are two portions of Leviticus where it's detailed, but the, the um the blood sacrifices to me are are equally as important um in that but the blood of Christ is just so central throughout the New Testament. And and I'm not really sure that it's easy to understand what the blood of Christ accomplishes without understanding. What the blood sacrifices of Leviticus are about, um, and, and likewise, I mean, you. T- this is all wrapped up in in what we've just gone through in Holy Week as well. Um, and I guess part of part of what I mean is there is a cost to holiness, entering into God's holiness, entering entering into right relationship with Him, that sometimes we we overlook. I think. And clearly Leviticus lays out that there is a, a deep sacrifice that has to be made in order for us to enter into right relationship. So there's a anyway, this is a whole there's a there are elaborate theories of atonement that people and theologians talk about world without end. <laughs> and and yet I really don't think you get a whole lot of traction with those theories unless you focus in on what's going on in sacrifice, like what, what actually happens when we look at sacrifices uh, laid out in Leviticus, Leviticus, but carried on throughout the rest of scripture, that entering, because of our sinfulness, ha- our sinfulness has to be taken seriously. It has to be paid for. We can talk about it as a debt. We can talk about it relationally. We can talk about it in legal terms. But clearly, the Old Testament wants to describe it in this particular way of blood sacrifice, um, and so I think our conversations about what's happening on the cross, th- they need to revolve around this language of sacrifice. And this is why, for instance, you know, so the first English use of the word atonement, atonement is actually a word that that was made up, was made up for, for scripture. William Tyndale made it up in the 16th century. There was no word for this, really. And so Tyndale came up with it and, um, and Tyndale, in fact, had, unlike Luther at the time, no real theology of the cross. His theology of the cross was completely bound up in blood. He cared; it was all about blood. He mentions the blood of Christ all over the place, and it's because he thinks that that's the key to understanding what Good Friday is about: is this this life offering sacrifice poured out of kenotic, self-emptying, gratuitous love that's costly, that's given for our sake. And then the product of that is that we are made one. We are at one, at one with, with God Almighty through the offering of Jesus. And so I, th- th- anyway, I'm rambling too long here. But what I mean is, yeah. the basic point is, I think that there is, there is a substitutive, uh, punitive, sacrificial quality to what goes on in the cross and we can debate about what exactly that means, um, but clearly in Leviticus it's very, very, very important to life with God, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is picking up on that, and it is not erasing other things; it's recapitulating truths that have been passed on in Leviticus. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. I'm not for We saw
0: that in Exodus too, right, with the altar, like in and today, and I mean, so this makes so much sense what you're saying. I mean, I, I hadn't really put the two sacrifices together, but it makes so much sense in that. I mean, Alan, I saw you taking some notes. You probably have wiser words, but David, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that.
2: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think we, in our tradition, at least we get so caught up in how can we explain the atonement? How can we explain the cross? In some cases, how can we explain away the parts we don't like, right? All of these theories have merit. When we look at all these theories that have been put forward, they're a portion of the truth. And this blood sacrifice, this atoning sacrifice in place of sacrifice is a part of the truth. It is, you know, if you take it back here. What I also think, you know, to shift gears a little bit. Jesus, in essence, he picks up a glass of wine at supper with his friends and says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And so he's setting up the stage for this, this idea of blood sacrifice. He's owning it and claiming it and saying it's part of a new covenant. So this blood sacri- this notion of, of the blood of Christ continues. And there's other parts of Leviticus where Jesus reframes, reshapes that as well. Like you think about, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus says that and builds upon that, and there's a whole story about how Jesus says, You have no idea who your neighbor really is. That goes back to Leviticus. Right? You think about Jesus healing the uh healing lepers and healing people with skin disease. There's two whole chap three whole chapters, I think, in Leviticus, strictly dedicated to how you interact with people or don't interact with people that have skin disease. And so Jesus is saying You know, Jesus has a habit of saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He doesn't say that every time, but it's kind of implied sometimes. when he's talking about dealing with lepers, when he's talking about loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, I think he's calling back to, you may be understood it this way, but I'm telling you, this is the way to understand it. And so I agree in many ways, both with the atonement, but with just understanding the good news of God in Christ Jesus. You can't do that without looking at at Leviticus. Yeah.
1: And I think it even informs some of our own life of faith as well. And that we, you know, we, a lot of times, so you look and look at the Testaments and think, oh, well, I need to look back at the old Testament in order to sort of understand some of the new, new, but I, I think that the better example is to think of both Testaments informing our life in Christ. So it's, it's, it's not just a unidirectional reading one way or the other. It's really both Testaments describing what it is to uh, live under God's rule and to follow him. And and so I think that some of the sacrificial character that we see is still highly relevant for us, not just in the practices that we have in the Eucharist, in our, in our liturgy, liturgical life. But I, I, I do think that there is... Um, you know, if I may be so bold here, I think there's a I think we are called to sacrifice certain parts of ourselves, even to serve the Lord. Um, it might not be blood. It, it might be time. It might be what's closest to our hearts sometimes, you know, the, the idols that we create, whatever it might be. I, I think that part of the, the part of the takeaway for me with Leviticus is as a Christian is. I need, I need to offer the Lord some of the things that are most precious to me um, in order to follow him. And I don't know exactly what those are. I want to use Leviticus to help me discern what those are. Um, but I think there's there's clearly some some direct, you know, there's some takeaways here for Christian life.
0: I, don't, I, I not only think, can you boldly say it, I, I, I believe that's the truth. I mean, we, it is not, we, the easy part of being a Christian is love your neighbor, love your God. Right, but then that's the hard part of it, right? Too, and it is a sacrificial sacrificial life, which I'm happy to be a part of because I so desperately want to be in the relationship. With God. But there are things I have to sacrifice. Not everybody's going to love me. Not everybody's going to love every decision. All those things—my um, phone, my diet code, whatever—all those things that I make idols. You know, those are sacrifices. I'm willing to do that. The two of you, and we're going to make mistakes through it. But how wonderful! to have a book in the Bible that helps us think about it in that way. And I think that you bring up an excellent point. So I read Leviticus last week, um, the whole thing, just to kind of prepare. Um, and I'm going to read it again. This is going to be my question or thought for the time, Dave, uh, Alan. We've been trying to come up with a different thought, is to read it in a different way of a response to God's um, graciousness. And what I loved what you said and how we enter more into a holy relationship with God and that seeing the holiness of it and the sacrifice of it um, because that's the least we can do, right? God did so much for us. This is the least we can do is read this book, this chapter in a book, excuse me, in a different light um, that David has so generously offered for us. Alan, what do you think? You, you got something you're going to do this week? Yeah, I
2: think what... David said there about sacrifice. What are we called to give up? And I reflect back. Bishop Waldo sent out, um, our bishop in Upper South Carolina sent out an, uh, an Easter letter in which he talks about a conversation he had with presiding bishop Michael Curry and just two weeks ago. In this conversation that he had, they talked about this exactly. They talked about what it means to live in beloved community, what it means to live into God's dream of at-one-ment. And what Bishop Curry said, according to Bishop Waldo is there are going to be things that I have to give up in order to be in right relationship with God and with my neighbor. And there are things that my neighbor will have to give up in order to be in right relationship with me and with God. And so I think that for you to bring that up today has me thinking about that. And so I'm going to reflect this week. And my question for listeners is to reflect this week. What might God be calling you to sacrifice?
1: i love that i love that and of course you know never forget what god has sacrificed in order to bring you into right relationship with him Mm that's not not to be forgotten as well but i love that thank you alan that's that's really helpful
0: david you're awesome thank you I'm so glad Thanks, to know yeah. you. I'm glad to call you my now friend and glad we got to do this through um, the Bible Love podcast. Um, I know our listeners will be so grateful to hear your voice. Will you come back again? We'll give yeah, you, I'm happy We'll give you another one. Um, yeah, I feel
1: like we hardly even got to
0: celebrate
1: a guest,
0: man. It goes fast, but you gave us a wonderful overarching theme and exactly what we were hoping to happen and, so 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 grateful for that um, tell my dad hi and, and um, listeners remember that we love you but most importantly god does see you next week thanks you all